the passage I get today is really, it's a very easy passage to share with you and to, and to really even teach you, because uh, I don't really feel like I am teaching you. This is really just more of a reminder of things we know, things that Scripture says. You don't have to be a deep theologian. You don't have to be a scholar to grasp this this morning. I haven't wrestled with the Greek all week and come up with these brilliant analogies, and I'm just going to hit you with a hammer. It's not like that today. Today, we're basically going to read these verses, and we're going to say, so are you going to start doing this with your life or not? And if not, you'll answer to God for it. Good luck. And that'll be it. So it's really quite easy for me uh, to do that part. The hard part, even as I did that this morning, was I was convicted of things in my life of conversations and, and people and relationships and just of how difficult it can be to control our mouths sometimes. And uh, that's bit me in the butt several times already today. So uh, we'll have some good practical examples for that. Uh, I'm going to do a couple of quick recaps. And then I, I just want to kind of set you up now so that you're not surprised because you might be sitting here being like, wow, we only had one song. They're really stripped down, chill today. What's going on? Travis going to preach for an hour and a half. No, <clears throat> that's not what's going to happen. We intentionally uh, scheduled the service the way we did because I want to end the service with a heavy aspect of worship. I want us to use our mouths to proclaim truth back to God and to really um, just respond to what we hear maybe and pray if we need to pray, speak to someone if we need to speak to someone, encourage someone if we need to encourage someone. But uh, So worship is coming still. Don't feel like you got robbed or anything uh, of that sense. The other thing that's motivating me is I'm drinking a lot of water. The doctor says I'm not healthy. I have high blood pressure. has nothing to do with 10 kids in my house uh, and my wife and I working full time. And I, I, I tell you, this stuff goes through me like oxygen in my lungs. My wife, I leaned over to her before I got up here and I said, I've got to go to the bathroom again. And you may not like that talk in church, but it's okay. Everybody does it. Jesus did it. And I said, I got to go to the bathroom again. She said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to preach quick. And she goes, she goes, no, that's God's way of trying to get you to rely on him more. <laughs> she didn't learn anything from James in the first service, but I'm kidding. I love you. All right, so let's jump in. This is not about me and my wife. So recap real quick. Some things we've gone through. I'm not going to give you a lot of recap. Again, you can, you can see from our tagline even, timeless wisdom for powerful living. This is simplistic stuff that's just applicable to our life today as we look through James it's not like a lot of this stuff is just over the top, like, wow, I had no idea that's what God thought or God said or God expected. This is just good, good reminders for how we live life today. And one of the things we've looked at so far is this is not about perfection. As James instructs us in how we're supposed to live and the things we should be addressing and transforming in our life, he's not teaching us that you have got to be perfected in these areas as much as you should be constantly being transformed and being better and more like Christ every day as you live your life. And I'm thankful for that, especially as we come to teachings like controlling our mouths and our tongues and how we communicate to people because the Lord knows I'm anything but perfect in that area. If anything, I'm on the other end of the scale in that area. So James wants us to know this is not about progress and he'll, he'll establish, or it's not about perfection rather, it's about progress. He'll establish that in the text again this morning as we get into it. Another thing we talk about is rules never lead to transformation. Rules will, will only make you comply for a little while, if that, but Again, take it from me with all my children. It will not lead to transformation. You can put every rule in the book in place, and you're still going to have issues. So that's not what will change us. And I like that James, even in the teaching on the tongue, he doesn't come in with a set of rules of, okay, start doing this every time you see each other. Don't do this anymore. He doesn't do that. 
because he too is well aware of that's not what changes us from the inside. It's, it's our heart, and Christ will show us that at the end of our sermon this morning as we look in Matthew. And then the last thing I want to point out to you that we've kind of picked up on each week is this idea that God is dialed into you and into me, that he cares about you and me. He's in our lives. He's active. He is present in this world. He's not just some big golden beam sitting on a throne in the atmosphere with sun rays shooting out behind and has really no clue about what's going on in your... Every individual in here, I don't care who you are, God is intimately aware of every single detail in your life. Let the weight of that sink in for a moment. You are in no way insignificant to Father God. In fact, you are of the utmost significance to Him, and He cares about you immensely. And hence, we have teachings like James 3, 1 through 12. So I want to read the text, explain where I'm coming from, give you some background, and then we're, we're going to hit it pretty hard and move into worship. So James 3, if you'll follow along with me, verses 1 through 12. James says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. You know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also uh, able also to bridle his whole body. And if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, They are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So, also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. So my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? And can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So as we conclude that that section of Scripture, you can tell automatically right away, like, I got it, I understand, I got to control my mouth, don't use it for cursing, use it for blessing. Let's go, right? Let's get out of here and go. There are a couple key things I want you to understand as foundation before we get into James because I think this is really easy to grasp in some context what James says here. And what I want to start with is is just dialing in on this point of just how powerful words can be. You know, we use words, we talk constantly throughout the day, whether we're talking to our children, our spouses, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, the people we're getting our coffee from, the people we're buying food from. I mean, we're, we're constantly in dialogue with people. Some of us talk when we're in the car by ourselves, even. And, you know, I won't judge you for that. I've been known to do it myself. But we have conversations all the time. And sometimes we can lose, we can just lose the, the weight of how important words can be and just how powerful words are. Our words have extreme, extreme power associated with them. I mentioned this morning, the Bible is still the number one best-selling book of all time, of all time in 2018. 
Out of every, if you think of everything that has ever been written in a book form, the Bible is still number one because there's so much power and so much authority and so much hope contained in word. Words are powerful. Words change the world. I told the story this morning. I got to tell it again because it's always good to be humble and I need a little bit of humility in my life. So our spouses sometimes, if you're married or sometimes your mom and dad will do this to you if you're a kid, but Oftentimes, you can get set up for something, like a big hammer getting ready to fall. You know, things like, uh, so are you going out with your friends again this weekend? That's danger zone. You need to think through that, okay? There, there's, there's something behind that statement. How do you think I look in this outfit? You should pause, take a deep breath, phone a friend, ask for a lifeline. <laughs> think through that. So my doctor, as I mentioned, I, I've, I've had to lose some weight. We've talked about weight a lot in our house and <clears throat> need to get healthy. I need to eat better. I'm telling you, my go-to food is like candy and fried food and barbecue. I think that's what heaven's going to contain. I think that's going to grow on trees in heaven, quite honestly. And uh, that's my go-to food. And so lately I've had to eat better and our family goes to the Y. We run into some of you there and everything. And I mean, I was so hungry last night. If, if you put sauce on my arm, I would have ate it. I like I was seeing green men in the background. I was like, ah, I'm sorry, I can't. But I need to get in better shape, so I'm eating better, I'm running better. And so we're talking about weight stuff in our house. And my wife uh, made the comment as we were in our, our bedroom, uh, I think getting ready for the evening rest period, if you will, uh, of going to bed at night. And she said, I feel like I've gained weight. And it was just kind of a passing comment. Now, right there, I should have just paused, threw down the anchor, and said, you shall go no further. But me being a stupid fixer like I am, and male, uh, jumped into the situation, and I tried to put what I thought was the right context out there, and I said, you haven't gained that much weight. (laughs) Now see, right away, you judge me. All the women are like, oh, you fool. And the men are like, yeah, I've been there, right? Now the emphasis truly was on, you haven't gained that much weight. Like, what are you talking about? Like, that was my intent. Intent doesn't matter, and I know that. Uh, because as soon as I said that, it was, like I said, a weapon of mass destruction. Boom! <laughs> and so lately, all I've heard is that much associated to everything. That was good preaching. You didn't go over it that much. Uh, that was really good grilling. You didn't overcook the meat that much, you know, whatever it might be. And as I said this morning, baby, you are so gorgeous, and you, you wear life beautiful. You don't need to lose an ounce I think I said that clear. I hope I said that clear. Sometimes you speak and you don't even know what you say, which is what I do a lot. And so sometimes we say things and we don't even have ill intent, but our words are extremely powerful, aren't they? Extremely powerful. I could give you, I wrote down like 12. I only shared like three quotes this morning of famous people from Scripture. How about this? This or Scripture from history. This will be more of my and, and an older generation. The kids don't have a clue on this, but... Who, who was it that said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country? It was John F. Kennedy, right? Great president. Thank you, Jack. I heard that. That's good. Great president. How about the words of Martin Luther King? I have a dream that my four children will grow up in a nation where they are not judged by the, con- or by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. What a powerful statement. Man, if we could just live that out in 2018. Whew. I said my generation, one of the big quotes I remember was uh, by President Reagan, one of the greatest presidents to ever live. 
<clears throat> whether you get taught that in school or not, it's truth. So just write that in your notes. But I remember vividly watching a brand new news network called CNN that was 24 hours news. And I just thought, wow, this is hell on earth for me. My dad loved it. But I remember watching, watching that and seeing him on there with just defiance in his voice saying, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. So you guys don't even know anything about the Berlin Wall. That's like nothing to you. But in my generation, that was very real, very powerful things that shape us. We go on and on, on and on and on. There's quotes that I, I could quote everybody to you today. There's things that are said that are powerful, right, that stick with us, that cause a nation, that cause individuals to sit up and take notice. And I think more powerful than any word ever uttered by any man are the words by our Creator, by our God. I don't know if you've ever taken the time to really look in the text and just see how much power is associated with words, not actions, but with words that Jesus spoke. We're told creation itself happened when Jesus said what? Let there be. Let there be. When was the last time any of you went online and and saw a video somewhere of someone saying, let there be a truck, and it appeared, (laughs) right? It doesn't happen. What amazing power to say, let there be light, and something that has never existed before comes into being. Tremendous power in the words of Christ. At his words, creation came into being, death shuddered, sickness retreated, the shame dared to have hope that they could approach people, sins were forgiven. Jesus would say stuff like, neither do I condemn you to a prostitute. Get up, sin no more. Do you think his words mattered? Oh my goodness. What hope, what life, what power. Or for a soldier to approach Jesus and say, you don't even have to come to heal. All you have to do is just say the word and they will be healed. I love this one. Lazarus, come forth. He didn't lay on hands. He didn't get some power worked up. He simply declared, Lazarus, and Lazarus sat up and was like, well, time to go. Do you think his words mattered then? If you were sitting outside that cave, you saw somebody coming out and wrapped up in white linens, I'd be listening to that man's words. His words had tremendous, tremendous power. John 1.1 would tell us, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And I lay this foundation before we get to James because this question that I have in your bulletin, this is a defining question that however you answer it shapes how you are transformed and how you live your life. And the question is simply this, do I believe in the power and the absolute authority of Jesus's words? Do you truly believe that? Now, I put the second part in there for a reason, because we are quick to acknowledge, yes, I believe in the power of Jesus' words. Jesus has power. I acknowledge that. But we also have to take it a step further and say, do I believe in the absolute authority of these words? Does this have absolute say over everything? Is this the final answer? Is this where the buck stops? Does this have absolute control over every element and every issue in life, over every social situation, over every relationship, every job scenario? Does that have final say over me as a dad, as a parent, as a father, as a brother? Does it have absolute authority? 
See, that's a question we don't always wrestle with because if we cannot say with certainty that yes, no doubt about it, what we will begin to do, especially when it comes to our mouths, is we will begin to live life based on our standards, based on our version of justice, based on what we think is right, based on what we deserve, what we want, instead of going back to the source and saying, well, what does God say about it? Because from God's perspective, and this is why he has James teach us, words matter tremendously to God. You'll see this in other texts we'll look at. To Satan, Satan does the exact opposite in your life, as always with God. He says from the beginning in the garden with Eve, what does he say? Did God really say? The very first thing Satan does with human beings is begin to question the authority and the absolute power of God's words. And I believe he is up to his old tricks more today than ever before. More today than ever before. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit of the joints and the marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What the author here is trying to get us to say is the word of God will cut through all the nonsense. It will cut through all the voices in your head. It will cut through your own reasoning. If you allow this to speak into your life, if you allow the Holy Spirit to bring the word of God to life in your life, he will teach you all manner of truth and he will get down into those deep crevices that you think can't be pierced. And there he will reside truth and there you will know how you should live your life. So let's start breaking down the text. I got four points. The first point I want to point out to you is everyone should teach, but not everyone should be a teacher. Everyone should teach, but not everyone should be a teacher. James says, starting off our text here very plainly, not many of you should become teachers. Again, this isn't rocket science I'm giving you this morning. Not everyone should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. What James is first establishing here is you should not desire the position up here. Because you're going to be held to an extremely higher standard when it comes to judgment someday. He's talking to the church and to those that teach the church. So he's saying, if you are a teacher, if you're someone that teaches the word of God, you're on this platform or you're in a small group or you lead a Bible study or a ministry or you're doing street ministry or you lead a study at your job or whatever and, and you proclaim, thus says the Lord to people on his behalf, you need to understand that you're going to be held to a high standard and you're going to be judged with greater strictness. So someday from now, when I'm standing before Father God, and you're up there as well, he's going to single me out ahead of most of you in here, if not all of you in here, and say, Travis, why did you get up in front of Hope Fellowship in 2018 and say, this is what God says or intends or means? And I'm guessing, if I'm accurate, you're probably not going to trade spaces with me on that day. That's okay. You did good. (laughs) Go ahead. We'll stay back here and get your back. While at the same time, James is not relieving us of our obligation to teach the word to one another. 
This in no way is a reference to removing us from our obligation of discipleship, of Matthew 28, of going out and making disciples and teaching them in all manner of truth and godliness and holiness. We are not relieved of that obligation. Too many times in my Christian walk, I've heard men and women say, that's not my gift, it's not my calling, I'm not a teacher, I'm not good with the Word of God. Well, you should be because God expects you to be. God expects you to know the word well enough to share the word with one another, to encourage and teach one another, and to push one another in Scripture. Not to sit back and say, well, that's his job, that's why I give my money to the church. Or that's not my gift, my calling, my job's just to, you know, I do this and not that. And what. No, God expects all of us to teach. We have that obligation to speak truth into each other's lives. And there's a difference between speaking truth in each other's lives and getting up on behalf of the body and saying, all right, I want to tell you what God has given me for you this week. So James starts by saying, hey, you need to think about if you're desiring to teach. I often tell my kids, because they've wrestled, my older ones have wrestled about, do I call to ministry, am I not, I don't know. I always tell them, pray heavily about it, because there's a big difference between being uh, aspiring to be a teacher and being called to be a teacher. There's a vast difference. And believe me, when you're in the ditch and you feel like Satan and every dart he has is against you, you will know that there's a difference between being called and just aspiring. So we need to have pause there. But James is so intentional. I love it. He's so intentional. He says, hey, we all stumble. So don't think because I'm up here that I'm not going to make any mistakes or anything or because Mark's up here. We make mistakes all the time. I made them this morning, and I'm going to call myself out on them. Later on, you'll get to hear, and you'll get to celebrate my mistake. But we do that, all right? So, And James, again, just establishes it's not perfection. It's progress. It's progress. We keep moving. Now, the danger in this is, thanks to modern technology, everyone believes that they have something important to say, Right? Yes, that's right. Good preaching. I knew it. Thank you. Uh, we do. Everybody, everybody wants to hashtag, wants to be part of the latest movement, wants to be on the in and the know, and everybody feels like their opinion matters more than anybody else. I'm always amazed. I don't have social media. I got rid of it because for me, it was really a prideful, arrogant place in my life. I felt like every day I had to blog, I had to tweet, I had to snap, I had to post on Instagram, I had to have a hashtag for 30 things so people would come and look at it, and the more views and followings and everything I had, the greater I felt about myself, and I was like, man, I'm pretty good, I'm pretty important, people like me, look how popular I am, and and it just consumed me, and I, I just, I, I sinned because of it, I was a, a sinner because of it, because it fed into pride in my life and arrogance in my life, as if I had something great to give the people every day instead of God. But it always amazes me even now when, when my kids or someone will show me, say, look what so-and-so put on social media or something. And I'm like, eh, let me see it. And you look at it and you're just like, oh, what are people thinking? Like, nobody needs to know about the new soap you bought for your shower. Like, that's between you and your shower walls kind of thing, right? Or uh, I could go on and on. I will not. But it is amazing what people will put out there because they feel entitled, so to speak. I, I mentioned Google and Siri. Uh, have made a lot of people feel like they're scholars and theologians today. Oh, wh- what, is, uh, you know, what does Jesus say about eschatology? Do you have a view on that? Uh, give me five minutes, and uh, yeah, I have a view on that. Well, very clearly, as I look at my scripture, meanwhile, they're not looking at scripture. They're looking at Google or S- Siri and giving this answer out. Now, I'm not saying that can't be helpful, but, but what we've done is we've turned to technology as being the source for everything. And young people especially, can I give you some insight? I know you're going to probably reject this, but please, please hear this when I tell you this. Just because something is popular online does not make it true. 
I don't care if it has 100 million views. I don't care how popular it is. I don't know how many people are doing it, how many people have commented on it. I don't care. Truth is not truth just because it's popular. And just because the world says it's okay. And so much of our standards and values and things that we accept today in 2018, I say we as a whole, so much that all of us accept, accept it because, well, everybody's doing it and this is what's popular. And so I got to be part of a movement and I got to voice my opinion. I got to make a sign and I got to do this and I got to do that. Could we please just stop and get back to loving each other? It's just so much inundation and so many, I, I teach my kids this all the time, so many careers, relationship, futures. So many things have been destroyed because of a 140-word character post somewhere on Twitter. You guys have seen the stories. You know the stories. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But how many times has a life been ruined because someone said, oh, I've got an opinion. Oh, you're fired. <laughs> right? Oh, lawsuit. I mean, it happens every day in our culture, in our society. But we feel like, I've got a right to say my mind. Point number two, we have tremendous power. We have to realize that we have tremendous power that must be harnessed and controlled daily. I cannot emphasize this more than James did. I mean, James drives this point home so, so brilliantly with these three analogies. He says in 3 through 5, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And so he gives us these analogies of bits and rudders and fires. Oh my, which is why I titled my message that, because the, the author for The Wizard of Oz said they intentionally put these lines in there for the main character, for Dorothy, because it lended weight to the fact that she's scared and she's nervous and she's aware and she's, she's present and she's anxious and concerned about what's going on. James puts these words and these analogies in the text so that we would sit up and take notice and say, wow, it is a lot more serious than I thought. I need to pay attention and see, is there trouble ahead of me? I need to be prepared for that. Now, I am not a horse expert. Becca, you can correct me later if I'm wrong. A dark horse farm, amazing farm. You should talk to her later and get involved there. But anyway, uh, that was not on her behalf, so I didn't mean to embarrass you. But the average horse, what, 800 to 1,200 pounds, four to six foot tall? Google works again. Um, You caught that, did you? All right. A little piece of metal in their mouth with a lot of training probably, but a little piece of metal will turn that horse to the right, to the left, cause them to stop, back up, go fast, do what you want to do. That is amazing that a piece of metal would control a a beast, if I dare say it, that size. He talks about ships with rudders, and he uses the analogy of the the wind blowing it because back in their day they didn't have what we have. But even now a small rudder that controls these massive, massive ships out on the water. He talks about the fire and how just a little spark, how often has destroyed thousands and thousands of acres. I shared this morning, the largest forest fire ever recorded this year, 2018, September 19th, was recorded out of California, the um, ranch fire that consumed 410,000 acres from one fire, 410,000 acres. What James is trying to get us to realize that this little member inside our mouth may not seem like that big of a deal in comparison to what our hands, what our arms, what our feet, our legs, what all of this can do together. James says, you better pay attention because that's more dangerous and deadly than anything else and more destructive. 
that should give us pause. That should make us just slow down and stop and think about the power of our words. That's why Scripture teaches over and over again about being Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, Spirit-driven, the fruits of the Spirit, instead of being influenced by the world. He continues, verse 6, The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James is trying to refute any argument that we would offer that would say, I got it. I know how to control it. I know appropriate boundaries and not boundaries. He's saying, look, you can tame pretty much anything you want in life, but one thing you will never be able to control and tame fully is your mouth, is your tongue, is the things that you communicate. And please understand, when I'm talking about tongue, I'm talking just as much about your digits today as I am your tongue. Because we communicate probably far more today with our thumbs than we do our tongues. That's good. That's good. That that rhymes. I should have made that a point. We need, we need to slow down and take pause and say, wow, on my own, I cannot tame this. I cannot control this. And if I'm not careful, I will destroy people. I will hurt people. I will crush people. I will break people. I can't tell you how many young people in my line of work that are suicidal, that are addicted, that are broken, that have nowhere to live, And most often, most often, it started with words way back when they were younger. If someone's saying, you're not lovable, you're not worthy, you're not worth it, I don't have time for you, I'm choosing this instead of you. Words have power. Brings me to my third point. God sets the expectations for how that power should be used. So not only is this extremely powerful, but God is the one that sets the expectation of what he wants us to do with this tongue. Just like the rest of us, it belongs to him. Have you ever stopped and thought of that? That the words, the things that come out of your mouth belong to God. And you are representing him as a follower of Christ when you speak on his behalf. In verse 9, James says, With it, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Now, if you ever want to see a practical example of this, come spend the day with me and my family, and you'll see this. Uh, When we're trying to move from point to point with all of our children, whether it's from homework to the dinner table or from the dinner table to Yogurt Mountain or Yogurt Mountain to Goodwill or Goodwill to bedtime, it doesn't matter what we're doing. You will see both blessing and cursings come out of our mouth. My older, mature kids that should know better, that I love dearly, get frustrated and get angry and yell at each other and fight and use words. And dad gets frustrated and says, if I have to come back there one more time, I hate being that guy. I didn't want to grow up and be that, but I am that because we come our parents, right? And, and we just kind of go back and forth and I'm frustrated and I'm angry. And boy, I, I can just get so irritated. So many Sunday mornings I've come, left house, got in the van, come here. Thankfully, Mark is preaching on most of those days. And uh, come here to church, and it's like, man, we're going to church. You guys get your stuff together. We're going to go see Jesus. I can't believe you're acting like this. Dad. I'm going to tell Pastor Nathan on every single one of you. Well, wait till I see Matthew. I'm going to let him know what you're doing at church. We get in church, and all of a sudden we're like, amazing grace. Woo! House. You know, we get all spiritual about it up in here. And we expect Jesus to just be like, oh, that's so good. That's so good. 
And Jesus responds like you just responded. <laughs> Silly people. <laughs> Praises are for Christians. <laughs> because we think that we can do both. We think we can curse and talk however we want and treat people however we want with our mouths. And then when we need to, fall on our knees and say, Jesus, 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 I need a vehicle like nobody's business. You've got to intervene. God, what will it take to get her to talk to me? I'm your servant. I submit fully. Right? Father God, I need this healing in my life. I know I shouldn't have yelled. I'm sorry for that. But I need you to work right now. And Jesus says, uh-uh. I am playing that. That's a modern translation, by the way. That's not an exact quote of what Jesus said. <clears throat> and rather than, than thinking about it, James says, brothers, these things ought not to be so. Rather than putting on people on blast for how they treated you or talked to you, rather than typing first and thinking later, rather than thinking that, well, if I just delete it, it'll all be okay, James says it shouldn't be so. It shouldn't be that way in the first place. And we're so good. Aren't we really good? Let's, can we get real for a minute here? Aren't we really good at manipulating what we say online? I know I'm good because some of the teens aren't looking at me, which is affirmation, and some are shaking their heads, which is affirmation. We're really good at saying just enough to say a whole lot without saying anything, right? I used an analogy this morning. It's like you didn't get invited to someone's party or you didn't, uh, you know, get included on um, someone's FYI update or something on their family. And, and we'll just send a subtle response out to all our followers like, living the dream today, don't need a party to live the good life. Hashtag happy in spite of you. <laughs> right? No, I didn't say anything mean. I wasn't. Blah, blah, blah. Gossip. It is so easy to gossip online. Woo, it's easy to gossip online. First thing I do when I go online and look at news stories is I go to the comments section. I want to know what everyone's saying. That's where the good stuff is. So the headlines are always wrong. I want to know what America thinks in the wacky sections. My button's off. That looks weird. Um, sorry. <laughs> right? I mean, that, we're driven by things like that. We're driven by, and, and rather than stopping and realizing that, James, as James speaks on behalf of God, by the way, saying, these things ought not to be. We shouldn't be able to write each other a love note and say, I think you're the greatest person in the world. I love you so much. But when I see you, I'm going to pretend like you don't exist. Right? James says it doesn't match up. Which brings me to my last point. We're moving. Aren't you guys happy? It's 10 to 12. You can't please God and please the world. You have to make a choice. Jesus would echo this in Matthew, and as Mark has often mentioned, James is like a commentary of Matthew. But James says in verse 11, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So I wrote this question, So why do I think I can say whatever I want and still proclaim my love for Jesus? Why do I think that? Why would I go up to an apple tree and expect to get a grape? It doesn't work that way. James used such brilliant, simple analogies. And his point is, don't expect God to be all about your worship and your kind words towards others when you use that very same mouth to destroy and gossip and tear down and, and talk about people behind their back and be mean and judge and be critical. It doesn't work that way. And I meant that when I said it this morning, I'm going to say it again. Our society today, our culture in America today is so full of anger 
and rage and hatred and division that everybody feels like they have to say something. Everyone feels like they have a right to say something to anyone about anything because their opinion matters. And if there was ever a time for the church to be the church in history, it is in 2018 in America when people are just spewing hate towards one another constantly, to be the voice of love, to be the voice of truth, of hope, of kindness, of difference. The world sees plenty of hate. What they need to see is something different. They need to see the church being the church. And that's James' whole point in this passage is we should be different. They should know we're different just by how we talk and how we treat one another. They should see it so evidently in our lives. Words can be destructive as well as life-giving. I want to end with one passage, a quick analogy, and then we're done. Matthew 12, 33-37. This is what Jesus himself says about our words. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. And that tree he's talking about is us. We're known by what we produce. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. People. This is not just to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious elite. He was addressing in the context. He's talking to every single individual. People will give an account. I will give an account for every word I speak. He says in 37, For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Think of that. Your words will either justify or condemn you before your Savior. I told this story, and this is where it came back to bit me. I told this quick analogy this morning. On the way to church, driving down Clemson Boulevard, <clears throat> I'm driving in the right lane. There's a car in the left lane beside me, and up ahead, probably three, 400 yards in the road, are three female runners running down the middle of the street. I understand the logic behind it. <clears throat> Easier on the knees and things like that. But as they're getting closer and not moving, and I'm getting closer and clearly nowhere to move, I'm like, what are they doing? They're breaking the law. They are runners. Get off on the sidewalk where you belong. It annoys me. I'm sorry if you're one of those people. My words, they're not nice all the time. And so I gave a little friendly, <laughs> I did not lay on my horn. I did not blow it super, super hard. It was just like a little, could you get off the road, please? I'm coming. I'm a car. You're a person. I think we know who's going to win this. That's my mentality. And so as I honk, the lady goes, Ugh. Right. And that was my reaction. I was like, come on. Like, I'm the car. You're the runner. I'm in the road. Why are you? So the service is, I said, well, maybe that lady, you know, went to church somewhere and was worshiping God and complaining, man, this driver was really rude to me today. You'd think they'd be more Christ-like and everything. Honked his horn and was, like, forcing me off the road and all this other stuff. So after, after the service, a guy comes up to me in the back. He's like, yeah, I, I was out there running, too. That's my group I run with. He was very gracious and very, very loving and very Christ-like towards me. He really was. I don't just say that. But it was like the Holy Spirit went, power of the words, brother. Back of the head, boom. Our words.
words have power. Even when you don't think they matter, they matter to someone. I had no idea that guy was out running with them this morning. Our words matter. They matter. We're getting ready to enter into a space right now, and I want to leave you with two questions, and, and I encourage you to worship, to confess, to go to somebody, to pray over somebody, confess to someone, confess to God. Whatever you need to do, we're going to make this space available. It's still a little bit early, so I know you're eager to go, but we're going to worship for just a few minutes. I want to leave you these two questions. Are there areas in my life, as it relates to my words, that I need to correct? I pray you'll take time with that question this week. Are there areas in my life as it relates to my words, my mouth, my communication that I need to address and correct? And then secondly, are there people I need to talk to to seek forgiveness from or offer words of healing to? I believe this with all my heart. We cannot begin to be this kind of church to the world around us if we can't be it with one another. God forbid that in this body of brothers and sisters and family members, that we have something against each other, that there's division in our hearts, that there's anything but absolute, unconditional love, compassion, kindness, acceptance, grace, hope, and healing with one another. I pray those questions sit deep in your heart this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to worship and give this space to God. You use the space how you feel God would have you use it. Worship. Stay where you are. Come down front. If you need prayer, I'm standing down front. I'd be glad to pray with you. I want to encourage you, though. Make most of your mouth for the kingdom of God. That's why he gave it to us in the first place.
said it in first service and I'll go ahead and say it again, but I absolutely love this song because it is just an open, honest declaration of not only who God is in our lives, but who we are because of who he says we are. The, the same God who spoke the world into creation, who spoke every, every heart to beat, who breathed life into each and every one of us, calls us chosen, redeemed, and worthy. And I think that's just so beautiful. Oh, my, that the highest king would welcome me. I was lost, but he brought me his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Oh, the sun sets free. Oh, his free. Jesus died for me. Yes, he died for me. Who the sun sets free. Oh, it's free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I
your breath 
This is the last song we have for you guys, but during this time, I want you to just really think about all the words that you're speaking, that you're singing out to God. Let it resonate with you and know that there is purpose to these words and just really reflect on what it means for you and what you're truly saying this morning. So kind to me. 
Thank you for your presence in this place, for the words that you speak into our lives, God, so uniquely. God, we thank you that you are not distant from us, but that you are close. 
close and personal and that you cared so, so much about us, God. Pray that this moment of rest and this moment of joy would carry us through the rest of this week, God, that we would be able to come back to your heart to find shelter in your love no matter what, God, that, that our praises wouldn't just be songs on a Sunday morning, but they would be our words to our coworkers, to our friends, to our family, that we would worship you with our actions, with our thoughts, that everything would be done to glorify you.